Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Welcome to this edition of the Times Opinion Podcast and we're having a budget George Osborne special today. In a little while I'll be speaking to Janice Turner about George Osborne the man. But we're going to kick off with Richard Fletcher, the Times' business editor, and Philip Aldrich, our economics editor, to talk about the big picture of where the British economy is. Thank you for joining me, gentlemen. And we are recording this before George Osborne has actually got up to speak. So there'll be some people listening to this podcast later in the week who will know more about this budget than than we do. But Phil, if I can start with you, the Tories' principal um, re-election boast is that the UK economy is growing faster than almost any other economy in the Western world. I think the economy is now 8% larger than it was when George Osborne inherited it. How much can he claim credit for that, and how much do we say it's the oil price and natural bounce back? It's a hard one to actually uh, quantify, but uh, th- there are definitely things that uh, Osborne has done which uh, which have helped to drive growth, um, uh, and sort of pr- principle among them has been his efforts to reduce corporation tax and to help ins- you know inspire businesses to create jobs and to invest in the economy. We've got since there is since the uh, pre-crisis peak, the economy is 3.4% bigger. Mm. Obviously, since 2010, when the uh, when the coalition came to power, it's 8% larger. But um, uh, of that three, against that 3.4%, business investment is actually now 5.3% larger. So you can actually see there specifically that business investment has been has been delivering uh, out delivering uh, uh, on growth. So uh, good, that's that, a good, very good sign for the future. It's a good sign for the future, and it's a, and it does suggest that the corporation tax cuts, the sort of open for business message, has got through, and he has actually delivered there. So, you know, he he can take he can take credit uh, to a degree on that. I mean, obviously, the oil price uh, is he, he's also clearly a lucky chancellor. <laughs> um, uh, so, I mean, that that definitely helps. And the latest sort of uh, fiscal numbers suggest he's got about potentially about six billion more to play with than was thought. Um, a few months ago, um, that six billion probably could be used to cut the deficit that he has failed to eliminate, which was his big promise of the Parliament. Yes, and I mean bo- it probably won't. Uh, yeah, uh, w- well, we'll see what he what he uses that uh, money for. It could be as much as ten billion, according to some economists. I, I mean, in fact, actually, the last couple of years' growth has been helped because he's he's actually eased off on austerity. Mm. Um, 
so so that has that has helped in, uh, uh, the general growth picture. But uh, yeah, compared with where where he wanted to be at the emergency budget in June 2010, um, he we were supposed to have eliminated the structural deficit by mm-hmm. now, uh, and we have a 50 billion black hole still there. Um, so we're a long way short uh, of his, uh, you know, judging him by his own measures there. But to be quite short-termist, because as business editor, I think I should be short-termist, uh, compared to where we were in December when we had the autumn statement, mm-hmm. slightly strange, but yeah. there we go. You know, um, uh, he's going to have he's going to revise up, or has revised up, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. He's going to revise up his uh, GDP forecast, no doubt. He's going to push down the inflation forecast, and as a consequence of that, um, the, the borrowing estimates are likely to be revised down. So we are a lot better than we were three months ago, which I know is a very short-termist point of view, but but he's in a better place than he was. And that's not a bad budget to go into X weeks before an election. Fair enough, but just to play devil's advocate, uh, Richard Fletcher, um, we have a deficit, um, structural deficit, Phil has reminded us, is 50 billion, overall borrowing 80 to 90 billion pounds. This is one of the greatest level of borrowing in British political history. And yet none of the political parties, George Osborne included, is actually telling us in any detailed way how they're going to get rid of this deficit. The public finances are some of the worst in the European Union. France, supposedly a basket case, has a smaller deficit than ours. The public finances remain worrisome, don't they? Well, except, you know, if I look back to that time, uh, I remember uh, everyone, the sort of the, the sort of the left telling us that the economy was going to be killed by Osborne's austerity, and the right was saying that the pound was going to collapse because there wasn't enough austerity. Mm. And uh, actually, uh, neither of those has happened. Uh, in fact, the opposite has happened. So, um, and obviously, the pound has been slightly pushed down in recent months by the fact we're expecting rates to rise in. In, in the US, but actually, he's steered a pretty a pretty good, in my view, he's, he has steered his, his way through. And the fact that the pound is hasn't collapsed and the economy is growing suggests that, and he has changed course uh, uh, on occasion. Mm. And is he a Keynesian chancellor, Phil? He is borrowing this huge amount of money. He paints himself as chancellor of austerity, but would Ed Balls or Alistair Darling have actually been that different? Well, it's just looking at some numbers, actually, and he's he has delivered 27... He will have delivered £27 billion more uh, savings, austerity, than uh, than Alistair Darling outlined in March 2010. So, so, But, of course, when Alistair Darling outlined that, it, it wasn't... The scale of the problem wasn't uh, wasn't quite known. So maybe Darling would have ramped up the... Uh, the, the, his austerity program as well. Is he a Keynesian chancellor? I mean, the the austerity program we've we've had so far um, is uh, the the Institute for Fiscal Studies has done an analysis of thirty two other c- countries. Of we we had the seventh we're having the seventh largest austerity program of those thirty two. But we started with the fourth largest um, deficit. I mean, you know, Greece and Ireland yeah. and Iceland were ahead of us. Um, so. It, I mean, it, it's been a fairly severe. It's been a fairly severe period. I mean, it is the steepest uh, public spending cut since the Second World War, at least. And bigger, so, bigger he, George Osborne constantly tells conservative critics, bigger than anything Margaret Thatcher 
ever delivered. Yeah, so exactly. And have, yeah, and you have to look where we came from. Remember, we went into a financial crisis, a banking crisis, with the world's largest bank by assets. You know, the tiny, mm. you know, we're not, we, you know, we're a tiny little country and we went into a financial crisis with the world's largest bank. Yeah. And that was bound to be painful. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was an extremely difficult. I mean, financial services in general have have uh, have hammered the economy. We, you know, the financial service sector was a very you know it's about ten percent of the economy, and it's it's shrunk back down to six percent because uh, the industry has suffered so so badly. And you know, as a result, you know, getting the rest of the economy motoring to replace that that missed growth is is pretty is pretty tough. Uh, he's, I, is he Keynesian? I, I, don't, I wouldn't call him. I wouldn't call him Keynesian. Um, Sammy Keynesian, but <laughs> well, he, does, he does enjoy appearing in a, in a in a in a hard hat and a and a, and a high vis <laughs> yeah. jacket, which maybe that's, that's the, the measure. Closest, yeah. Maybe that's the measure <laughs> these days of. Uh, uh, and just 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 on that, uh, Richard Fletcher, this. He appears everywhere in these high vis vests and hard hats. Um, has he become this um, chancellor that's obsessed with infrastructure? Although capital spending has been cut, he has moderated the cuts quite a bit compared to what Alistair Darling had penciled in to the budget. He, he does seem to be, want to be associated with investment in the infrastructure, particularly in the north, in science, in, in, in capital. I mean, it's, easily, it, it's very easy for, for us to portray it as a, simply a, a picture opportunity. And, and, it, and at, the, at the same time as he started appearing in the hard hat and the high-vis jacket, we obviously had the, the slight uh, image change in terms of the haircut and... and, and uh, the 5-2 diet. I was going to say his weight, but that sounds a bit rude, doesn't it? <laughs> so, um, but I, I think it appear, it, 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 he does appear to genuinely believe that we need to rebalance the economy and we, we you know he does need to invest in infrastructure and we do need to have growth across the entire country he, and and uh, i'm not sure I, I again it's probably easy for critics to say that's simply about winning votes in certain seats but i i suspect he really i i he appears to me that he does he does really believe that he 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 talks a better game than he delivers endlessly, and I mean on infrastructure. He's not that's, the first politician to have done yeah, that. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's, it's true. But on infrastructure, you you, you definitely see that. At, at the I mean, it was he has done he's done better than uh, than La- than Labour's original plans. But uh, he he tried to crowbar a whole load of private sector money into investment across the country. It's been a complete dismal failure. Um, Twenty billion of pension money was supposed to be you know flooded into uh, into projects like HS2, but nobody you know, barely they barely put a penny in. So he, he's um, and he's and he's been reluctant to put much uh, public money in. Obviously, for where's the business investment that you were talking about earlier going? What's that? That's just business investment going into their own uh, businesses. So, ca- so plant and machinery in, a, in, in a manufacturing yeah. industry or IT or you know research and development in science and pharma, which is a quite a good uh, well, That's still good because a column you wrote recently, Phil, and I should say to all Times subscribers listening to this podcast, if you go to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central, there'll be some background reading links you can read. One of them will be this column by you, Phil, on Britain's productivity failure. The the average output per British worker compared to a French worker, you reminded us, is 14% less. Is the George Osborne capital investment, that extra investment by uh, British industry, is that anywhere near enough to begin to turn this around? 
Um, at the at the moment, it isn't. the uh, The investment levels in the UK are 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 poor compared with you know international comparisons. So we need we we need significantly more business investment. Um, and also, you you could def- you could argue we need we need more public public spending. Uh, the average public spending on you know capital projects has historically been around two percent of GDP. It's it's kind of struggling to hit one point five percent at the mm-hmm. moment. Um, you know, and that's. Uh, um, you know that's what ten five to ten billion pounds a so year. So if, if I was um, to give you the red box, put it in your hand, Phil, I'd ask you this dangerous. question as well, Richard. Um, would you be borrowing more as a chancellor now for house building and infrastructure investment? And given the low rate of interest that we're paying at the moment, a lot there is, pause. yeah. There, there, actually, I, I probably would be. I probably would be using uh, the uh, the record low interest rates that we've got now to uh, to invest in infrastructure. If you think about what the re- so with the nuclear build that we're planning and getting foreign direct investment into the UK, the only reason that uh, companies are going to uh, invest here is because we're going to give them a decent return, and we're we're going to give them a lot better return than we'll get. Uh, borrowing on the markets at the moment, so you know the longer term picture is it's it's more expensive doing things which flatter the public finances today. Um, so uh, you know I, te- I I would be tempted to to take a to take a longer term perspective and uh, Fletch. I think if I had the red box, I'd have more fun than just borrowing more. Actually, I think you know if you want to sort out the housing market, well, you can abolish the green belt and um and abolish and, the green belt. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's some, there's some, there's, there, you know, I'd have a lot more fun than, than just uh, messing around with the borrowing and number. But but you know, I, but but I'd, I don't. I think you slightly dodged my question. You haven't really I answered haven't, whether yes. you would. Uh, I don't think I would borrow more. No, you wouldn't borrow more. You would. No. Uh, you would. You'd, you'd build on the green belt. I would agree on that, but yeah, 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 which might be very popular, I'm sure. If you can get the podcast. if you can get the private sector money actually involved, then definitely yeah. uh, that would be that would be the preferable option. The um, uh, Labour actually do have this idea of the National Infrastructure Commission, which which is uh, because they do set long term goals. Um, uh, and you can't have uh, jobs like projects actually ripped up by successive parliaments. So that's that's actually seems to be could a very you, good idea. You, you wrote a column that's been quite critical of Labour's overall sort of economic positioning. You mm. feel that they've been got themselves in a muddle about uh, disagreeing with where the George Osborne is on some of his deficit targets. But you think actually some of their ideas for long-term economic restructuring are quite good and probably should be in their shop window. Yeah, there's um, things like uh, that, that, you know they're, they're pushing apprenticeships. Um, uh, they're trying to. There's a skills mismatch in the economy, so we have people overqualified um, or, or or qualified in in the wrong areas, and much more so than in other countries. And you know, apprenticeships would deal with that. Um, uh, and then there is the infrastructure investment stuff, where we, you know, we if you do want to get the productivity up, the the link between investment and productivity is pretty clear. So. Um, and that's in our long-term benefits, you know, the prosperity uh, issue. So, 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 so final question to both of you. Um, I'm unprepared for this as, I, as you are, but I'm going to throw it at you anyway. George Osborne, in the sort of grand scheme of recent chancellors, Brown, Lawson, uh, Howe, how significant is he? How, how will history record him alongside those individuals? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves 
feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Jane Garvey. And I'm Fee Glover. Off Air with Jane and Fee is going live. We are taking to the stage at the amazing Crucible Theatre in Sheffield on Friday the 31st of May. It'll be a night full of surprises. We'll have a special guest, we'll involve you in the audience and we'll embarrass ourselves. You really won't want to miss it. Well, the surprises, we don't yet know what's in it, so it genuinely is a night of surprises. Well, you've surprised me already. Uh, it's not just us. Our live show is part of an exciting new podcast festival called Cross wires which is taking place in some really amazing venues across sheffield from the 31st of may to the 2nd of june so other podcasters that you'll be able to see include katie price Catherine ryan ramesh ranganathan and the original adam buxton but there's also a whole host of free fringe events family shows surprise acts and after parties that jane and i haven't yet been invited to I'm sure it's only a matter of time head to crosswires.live for tickets and more information you're both looking like you want pretty, the other well, one to answer right, first. Okay, pretty yeah. favorably. I think I, I think they will judge him pretty favorably. He's he had a tough hand. He's you know we've we've got back to reasonable growth rate. Um, he has actually changed. He's with the you know reform the with the economy with the corporation tax cuts. With he's really helped. Uh, Get business, um, you know, the open of a business agenda has has been has been working. This, so you you get the sense that he wishes he could have been loads more uh, radical. But uh, but he, you know, within the confines of a coalition government, I think I think he'll be judged as a pretty as a pretty useful chance. And if the Tories come back, he could only be halfway through his. Yeah, time was chance. Well, yeah, I mean, no, if that's a scary, will not he, a will scary he actually, thought for some listeners. Yeah, yeah. Will <laughs> he actually continue with it all? Um, we'll see. Richard, uh, I, I, I would have liked him to have been more radical, you know, and and some of the uh, I, 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 uh, some of the the issues he discussed when he was in opposition. Some of them I fundamentally disagreed with. The idea of moving where you, you where you taxed interest, uh, but I disagreed with him on. But at least he was being radical. You know, he he, he has. Uh, spoken both in, in opposition and whilst in power about sorting out the fact we have national insurance and income tax, which you know we have to at some stage we have to tackle that. Um, he hasn't done tax simplification at all. No, exactly. And, which and I would have column, loved to have seen him done. I'd a column from Ed Conway in Tuesday's <coughs> newspaper did just talk about the number, the Absolutely. sheer number of small measures he's constantly and sort of announcing. And that's the rabbit out of the hat. You know, the one thing we will definitely see is he will end with a measure tomorrow. He'll pull a measure out of the hat. The the last, you know, the last few sentences will be the big measure, the only one that hasn't been leaked ahead of mm. uh, ahead of the budget. And he, you know, that kind of, you know, there's always that slight political. He's quite well, a political uh, a, a chancellor as well as a, 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 as a, as you know, rather than being completely focused on being a chancellor. Um, and tomorrow will be as much of a, a political broadcast as a budget, and it may not be the last budget this year because mm. we may have another emergency budget. Uh, Certainly if we have a change of government, we would. We almost certainly will, yeah. And and neither of you are going to make a prediction of what that rabbit might be? Um, Well, uh, could it be a 1p off income tax? Mm. 
Okay, you heard it here yeah. first. Or, um, I mean, the national insurance equalization of the thresholds, I think, yeah. that seems to appeal. Because he's got to get, he's got to get, cro- still got to get cross-party yeah. approval for this. Yeah, thing. this is uh, not a Tory budget still. It is yeah. Danny Alexander and Nick Clegg have to sign it off. Well, 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 one thing we will definitely, we will get a cut in beer duty. There will be some real political, you know, we will have some, some quite political pork barrel politics. <laughs> I think we can definitely agree on that. And there's a good note of unity to end. Philip Aldrich, Richard Fletcher, thank you very much. And good luck. The next 24, 48 hours must be about the, some of the busiest of your uh, working lives in, um, yeah. in journalism. Good luck. What about George Osborne, the private man, the personality? Well, last uh, December for the Times magazine, my fellow columnist Janice Turner spent a couple of days with George Osborne and wrote a fascinating profile of him. Um, Janice, you imply that George Osborne becomes a harder person as soon as he goes on the record, but you you spent quite a bit of time with him in private conversation. Yes. How how did you find him? Well... When you say harder, I think that above anybody I've ever met, there is a difference between the on-the-record self and the off-the-record self. I've never really interviewed anybody of any sort, actor or whatever, who has such a distinction. I'm not sure it's necessarily harder. Um, it's more that he is so, such a tactician and such a clever person that he, when he's on the record, he's so triangulating everything he says against any possible... Um, uh, perception of it as being that might go against him. It, uh, whereas in private, when he's relaxed, when he's had a glass of wine, he's incredibly amusing and indiscreet and gossipy. Um, <laughs> and but, but, you know, but, he's not the sort of person that you would expect. Really, there is a there is such a difference between the two people, and it's such a shame in a way for him that he will not allow that private self to come out. But then I. I guess being the tactician, as I mentioned, he's worried how it will be perceived. Yeah, because famously he was he was booed at the Paralympic Games mm. um, in front of his children as well. His children were there that night, which he has you know talked to you, I think, about as being quite uh, unpleasant. Do, do you think he wants to be liked? And if he does want to be liked, wouldn't it be well advised to allow some of this private personality to shine through? Well, I don't know whether he wants to be liked, because I, I imagine that he is liked by a lot of people. I think he has a lot of friends. But the question is, he wants to be elected probably as prime minister. Yeah. And I think that he's trying to be liked. And I'm sure that this two days that I was allowed to spend with him, which was you know, a lot of on the, off-the-record stuff and a lot of meals and hanging out with his team, is part of that. Um, but I, I do think that the uh, Olympics, event when he was booed in front of 80,000 people and in front of his children which he raised it several times actually during the interview it really hurt him Mm. I think that was a really significant moment I think it was not only a a personal embarrassment but it was also uh, a recognition in himself that he has substantial obstacles in the affections of the British public if he is going to become prime minister shouldn't he have known that standing up in front of a massive crowd two years into some of the deepest cuts in public spending ever. Shouldn't he have known that he might have been booed in the way that he was? Doesn't doesn't that sort of raise questions about his sort of self-awareness? Yes, I I guess that he thought that there was so much goodwill washing around at that time. Yeah, London 2012, that's a great Yeah, that he would be sort of 
people would forget these narrow things. But there is something about him in particular which is unpleasant in the public perception. I think he's the probably, maybe Michael Gove got there a bit, but among people who are not that political, he is the most loathed just by a default mode, almost a visceral response to him. Mm. And I, I think that is a difficult thing to overcome. And it's almost, I, I think, about how he looks. I mean, it's as much as um, Ed Miliband is a victim of his face, and that Ed Miliband's face in repose always looks kind of goofy, um, what we have with George Osborne is a face that always looks like Flashman. He always looks like he wants to grind people, the poor, beneath his cavalry boot. Even when he's being really nice, he just has the look of somebody who is arrogant. And it's really hard to overcome a face. Because, because he has, you, you talk about his um, advisor, former BBC journalist, Theo Rogers, mm. and he has been on this 5-2 diet. He's lost mm. quite a bit of weight. He's got this Caesar-style yes. haircut. Um, has it worked? Well, he looks very good in a suit. I, I saw him just in a shirt, and I think he looks a bit thin, actually, a little bit fey. Mm-hmm. I mean, he... He, he looks better from a distance. He doesn't, and also the notion of being a bit corpulent when you're a, a Tory chancellor, I don't think it's very helpful. It kind of goes with the image of being a sort of, you know, fat banker or whatever. Mm. Um, and the leaner chancellor, I mean, he does look good. I mean, uh, Thea uh, Rogers is just brilliant. Mm. I think that she is, um, if I were Ed Miliband, I would poach her. <laughs> Do you feel, you mentioned that there's a lot of talk about him potentially being prime minister one day did you get from your two days which is very unusual not many people have get that sort of access it's interesting Mm. that they granted that that suggests that they are trying to make over his image um did you feel he could be prime minister one day does he have that aura about him i think it goes back to the how the visceral reaction to him i mean maybe he could overcome that but i don't know i i was always with him and when he'd go into a room, he always had this look on his face that he was kind of anticipating an insult or something horrible happening or somebody being rude to him. And then he always looked kind of grateful and there's this sort of imperceptible expression passed over his face of sort of gratitude when someone was nice to him. (laughs) So I don't know whether he can see that this is going to flesh out into being well-liked. I think that... I think he knows what he's up against really in terms of his public perception because mrs thatcher was never really liked but she was respected because she took tough decisions by not everybody in britain obviously but enough to keep allowing her to win elections could he could he follow that model never never liked but he was the kind of he was the chancellor who led us out of recession he got the public finances back in order could that be enough for him well the thing about mrs thatcher was she was lower middle class and she could do the you know the the housewife thing, and she could appeal to coming from a very grassroots uh, background. And so, she, but whereas George Osborne is also burdened with incredible privilege, mm. um, so I, I, my criticism of him as a sort of person would be: I absolutely don't get the sense he has any empathy with the weak at all. Because you you asked him very directly about that in that interview. Um, how, how did he react when you, you, well, you compared you said David Cameron obviously had his son mm. Ivan severely disabled which gave David Cameron a, you know, a very stark experience of the National Health Service and mm. disadvantage and you, you basically told George Osborne he'd had nothing like that and how could he understand the impact of his policies yes and well he admitted that he admitted that he's had a very gilded 
childhood, lovely family, lovely parents, went to a great school, always lots of friends. You know, he's had nothing really untoward has ever happened to him. And he admitted that, but he said that he, the idea that he wanted to pull up the ladder and not allow it to other people was, um, you know, he, that's not something he wants to do. But I just don't get the feeling that he has affinity with people who really down on their luck. I don't think he fundamentally understands what it's like to not have advantages and how this can actually play through your life in a way that means you can't rise yourself up by your bootstraps. I don't mm. think he I don't think he gets that. I think he, he he understands whizzy innovation and progress and people who are doing their best. You know, he, that's where he aligns himself, but I don't think the weak really come into his kind of purview really. Because you describe him in the interview as a sort of a Londoner. You say he's a quintessential Londoner, yeah. which I suppose fits with that idea of the dynamic capital city. But you, you also said, you know, that there's some things that did seem to surprise you about him. You talked about how he loathed the House of Lords and was venomous towards the tax avoiding super rich. He's, that yes. suggests there's a bit more complexity to him than perhaps the cardboard yes. cutout. Yes, I, mean, I was surprised about how iconoclastic he is, really. Like he's... For somebody who you think is a consummate establishment insider, he's he's not sort of he doesn't kind of love it. You know, he doesn't. I don't think he. Uh, I think he has an idea of what he wants to do, and he sees the House of Lords as a as an impediment and a bit of an embarrassment, and they're undemocratic. And he's always voted throughout his career for the most democratic uh, manifestation of the House of Lords, and with mm. the super rich. I mean, what re the time when he got really sort of passionate was when he was describing uh, that business with charities where um, the rich could, you'll probably understand it better than me, Tim, where they, the, the rich could, uh, were putting all their money into charities yes, and, rather um, than into... Uh, paying ta taxes, yeah. Yes, mm. and he got furious about that because he wanted it to go into main taxation. Mm. And, mm. and there was an immediate sort of ring round among charities and among the super rich, and they kind of stymied it. Mm. And it made him furious that they had that power to do that. So although, so, he, although he overturned that decision, he still resents it two years after. Yeah, he happened. really resented that. Mm. And, you know, he does vow to get Google. And, uh, um, and I think that's coming to pass in some of the things he's been discussing. Yeah, we, may, we may see that in the, in the budget. And, and finally, Janice, you ended your interview with an expression that I think captures him perfectly. You talked about him as a man of glass and concrete. What, why, why did you write that? I think he's looking there for a place in, in history, almost, or yeah. in political discourse, which isn't the sort of chancellor who's just cutting things and inventing new taxes against pasties and bedroom tax and so on. He's, he's trying to think of himself in a more positive light. And I think there is, he's a historian too, and I think there is a bit of that sort of Victorian sort of uh, entrepreneur who, who wants to build the North and so on. And I, I think there is part of that is the Tories need to build no votes in the North, that's for sure. Mm. But I do think he likes that idea. And I think he realises he's not going to be beloved, uh, as you said, you know, he, he, but he might be respected. And if he's building good things and he can put his name to these innovations and these great projects, um, that is something which might raise his credibility and his popularity. I mean, he's never going to be the cuddly George Osborne, is he? No. Janice Turner, thank you very much. Thank you. So on that note from Janice, we end today's podcast. Thank you to Janice Turner, Philip Aldrich 
and Richard Fletcher earlier for their contributions. Thank you to Charlie Jones, my producer for this podcast. Most of all, thank you to you for listening. Until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.